Chairman McMillan has an announcement to make. Well, May 1st is a pretty special place, time around here. First of all, it's Coriolis' last service that day for the year, and it's also our AGM. But most importantly, it's the first day that you can bring your items for the garage sale, which is on May 13th and 14th. So hold on to your stuff until then, but be prepared. And... Uh, we're going to be setting up on April 30th with tables, and uh, we need some help that afternoon on April Saturday, April, uh, April 30th. So if you're available to come and help set up, that would be great. Talking about tables, do any of you have any six-foot tables at home or sawhorses or bookshelves? We need lots of surfaces for this event. And today, I'm sporting this lovely shawl. And anybody want Louise Penny's State of Terror book and Hillary Clinton? It's for sale. I also am sporting some brand new sketchers that are for sale at the garage sale. So please uh, sign up to help. These are all the sign up lists. Thank you. The Unitarian Church of Edmonton is a liberal, religious, multi-generational community. We celebrate a rich mosaic of free thinking, spiritual questing individuals joined in common support for, and action. We welcome diversity, pursue the common good, and work for justice. We believe in the compassion of the individual heart, the warmth of community, and the search for meaning in our lives. We gather with gratitude this morning on Treaty 6 land. A treaty is an inheritance, a responsibility, and a relationship. May we be good neighbors to one another, good stewards to our planet, and good ancestors to all of our children. And so, as we begin this hour together, I invite you to quiet your devices and yourselves so that we can all enjoy the service further. May we be reminded here of our highest inspirations and inspired to bring our gifts of love and service to the altar of humanity. May we know once again that we are not isolated beings, but are connected in mystery and miracle to the universe, to this community, and to each other. I will now invite Sarah Elliott, one of our newest members, member, not sure, one of our newest friends, to come forward and light our chalice. I've got pre I've got pre I, okay. I screwed up. <laughs> um, so the reading is by Marilyn Sewell. Sorry, this is new to her. We put her on the spot at the last minute. Come into this circle of love and justice. Come into this community where we can dream and believe in those dreams. Come into this holy space where we remember who we are and how we want to live. Come now and let us worship together. Do we want to do the prayer now? 
we will now have a prelude. Apologies to the production team. I know it really messes things up when we go off script. <laughs> Prelude, then land acknowledgement, then chalice lighting. Okay. Now, please join us in, in singing our hymn of the month, One Flame. The lyrics are printed and placed in your uh, hymnal, and they will also uh, be on the wall behind me and on screen for those of you at home.
Good morning. How is everyone this morning? Good. Good. My name is the Reverend Rosemary Morrison, and it is my pleasure to serve this congregation. And I have a little story for you. It's a Mullah Nasruddin story. So I talked about the Mullah a couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago, and the Mullah is a wisdom character from the... uh, uh, Sufi tradition, and uh, the mullah is known as being kind of slightly ridiculous, maybe he rides around on a donkey backwards with a funny hat. But this story is not about, it doesn't have a donkey in it. Most of his stories do, but this one doesn't. So the mullah was working all day long in those fields, and he was, and it was Ramadan, and he was hungry. And he was covered in dirt from his head to his toes. Because like now, Ramadan was in the springtime, so muddy. He was covered in mud. And um, he'd been fasting all day, like I said, so he was, he was pretty hungry. And that evening, the, most, the richest man in the city, in the village, was going to be putting on a feast for everyone that evening. And he could hardly wait, but he lost track of time. And so he realized that if he went home and cleaned up and changed into, you know, dinner attire, that he'd probably be late for dinner. So he decided it was better to arrive on time with dirty clothes on than late to this esteemed home. So... As he was walking there, he was thinking, oh, it's going to be such a wonderful party. There's going to be chickpeas and lentils and chicken and beef and figs and dates and, oh, falafels and hummus and pita. Oh, he could hardly wait till he got to his guest, to um, to the party. But when he arrived... The wealthy man opened the door and kind of looked at him like, hmm, didn't say anything and just stepped aside and let him walk through. No greeting, just a bit of a sneer. And then Nasruddin went back, went into the home where all the food was, into the dining area, and he, he was kind of ignored by everyone. All the seats were taken. No one moved over for him. So he kind of had to reach over people and, and like, you know, try to grab an olive or a fig or maybe a piece of chicken and put it on his plate. And then he was like, you know what's going to happen here? I'm not hungry anymore. So... He put his plate down, and he left. He felt so unwelcomed. He felt so disrespected. So he just went home. But he decided on the way home, I'm going to go home. I'm going to clean up. I'm going to put on my finest clothes and my fancy coat that last time I wore it, everybody said, oh, my, Ms. Rudin, what a beautiful, beautiful coat. So he goes back to the wealthy man's home, and everyone's still there feasting. And instead, this time, he looked at him and said, Oh, Nasruddin, welcome, welcome, come on in. 
I love your coat, by the way. That's a great coat. And this time, people saw him and went, oh, hi, hi. And they made room for him. And he sat down with them. And, he, and what he did was kind of interesting. He, he took a fig and he put it in his pocket. And he said, eat, coat, eat. And then, and then he took some olives and he put it in another pocket. And he said, eat, coat, eat. And then he went and he grabbed a piece of chicken and he put it in this pocket and he said, eat, coat, eat. The people grew silent and they all stared at him and went, what in the world is this man doing? Why are you feeding your coat in this manner? Well, said Nezrudin, when I first came here as the farm person I am, dressed in my farm clothes, I was ignored. But then, same person, I show up in a fancy coat, and suddenly you acknowledge me. You say hello to me. So what can I guess but that it is my coat that is welcome, and not me. And so, I am feeding my coat. And that is the end of the story. So because the mullah was eating, we will give thanks. Now, this is a little hymn that my colleague um, Wendy Luella Perkins wrote. Oh, we give thanks for this precious day, for all gathered here and those far away. How many here know this piece, this hymn? Okay, it's just you and me, Karen. Oops. You'll love it. I promise. You'll love it. So we'll sing it through a few times. And then, you know, there's a, there's a chance if you're feeling really brave that we would go, Oh, we give thanks. Oh, we give thanks for this precious day. For this precious day. We could di divide down in half and just see if we can make it kind of a little bit fun. Maybe you'd play it through once for us, please.
loved it, right? That was fun. One of the purposes of this church community is to encourage all who gather here to grow more generous in spirit and action. In addition to supporting this community, we also make a monthly commitment to the wider community. One half of the unidentified cash that is received is given to an outside organization. For the month of April, we are supporting the Unitarian Universalist United Nations office in New York City. This office is the UU Association's representative at the UN and is committed to peace, freedom, and environmental responsibility, as well as social, civil, and economic justice. We take an offering that allows us to exercise that all-important generosity of spirit, an offer that will support this self-supporting church and its many ministries. For those of you in the sanctuary, you can use envelopes found inside the cover of your hymn book. Oh, different hymn books, sorry. <laughs> if you'd like a tax receipt for your donation, please uh, mark your gift with your name and address and we can provide that for you at year end. Many members also give monthly or annually through automatic withdrawal from their accounts. Offering plates are located at each of the exits in the sanctuary and you may leave a donation there at the end of the service. For those of you online, we encourage you to visit the UUA.org website and make a donation directly there. We thank you for your generosity of spirit and action. Through all we do here in this community and the wider world, we are involved in the important spiritual work of creation and compassion. Now let us sing through twice from You I Receive. into a time of a little bit more reflective and introspective and we will begin with our usual candles of conjoined concern and I invite those that are online to put things in the chat as those that are here um, light candles and so it is our custom on Sundays along with other congregations of the UUA and the Canadian Unitarian Council to, to light candles of remembrance, of joy, of concern. And if you're new here, what we've been doing in COVID times, we used to just come in and, and do it kind of all together more closely, but now we're lining up here and taking a taper and using the little light to light the taper and then light one of the candles in the candelabra, using the water to extinguish it and um, putting it in the basket and then coming that way. So it's a bit of a circle, okay. So we do this because we care about one another, because we care about how we are with one another. And so we take this time to light candles to say we're family in a way, church family, we hear that, those, those words, and we're, we care, and we want to remember. So I invite you, if you would like to, come and light a candle at this time. 
lighting a candle for all of those, per perhaps a personal candle as well as for all of those joys and concerns that we might not even know about yet. And if you could also light the Ukraine candle, you'll need a new taper. Sorry, I didn't uh, prep you on that. So we've been lighting our Ukraine candle every Sunday to keep in our hearts and minds and prayers the people of Ukraine, the soldiers on both sides, holding them all. And now we'll move into um, a time of meditation, and it's two parts. So I'm going to invite you to um, just to kind of settle into your body a little bit, and then I'm going to lead you through um, an exercise. Um, I've, it's called a daily examine, and, and um, a four-person named Ignatius created it. And, uh, but I've abridged it and Unitarianized it, and so... And then we will sing, after the meditation, we will sing, We Begin Again in Love, and the words will be up, and it's hymn number 1037. And there's words that I say, and then you sing the refrain. Okay. Shall we begin? I invite you to focus in on your breathing, to notice how your body expands as you breathe in and then contract as you let go. Notice the chair supporting you or the couch or the bed or the floor if you're at home. What does that feel like to be supported? Lean into it. Let go. Let it hold you. Let yourself be held. And now I invite you to think about being seen. What would that be like? for you to see yourself as you truly are, for your higher power, if that is something that you relate to, for anything or all things that are holy. To actually be seen in all your beauty, with all your flaws, in all your perfection. And now I want you to think about something that maybe happened yesterday or this morning that not so proud of, wish you hadn't done.
And now I invite you to think of something that you really nailed. You're so happy about. Something good that you did. And then think of another one. Something that made you proud to be you in all of your beauty and glory. And hold on to that. Because we are all beautiful. Let's just take a few moments of silence together. Let's sing through the refrain. Karen, if you could play it through once, and then we will sing the refrain. that sets us apart and alone. For falling short of the admonitions of the Spirit. 
and for so many acts, both evident and subtle, which have fueled the illusion of separateness. words and with the images that they have brought up and that the meditation has brought up and let's just take another moment of silence. <laughs> it's hard on the eyes, isn't it? <laughs> One of the things I've noticed that made me chuckle is some of the places where the title of this service is, is it says palms and songs, and others says palms and psalms. So... I don't, I don't know which one is right, so I just left it. So the reading this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, number, uh, chapter 21, verses 1 to 11. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, the Lord needs them. And they will meet and they will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, look. Your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him, the crowds that went ahead of him and that, and that which followed were shouting, "Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When they returned to Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Well, today is Palm Sunday, and this text that I just read is one of the four accountings of that event. I read through each one carefully. And there are similars, similarities and differences in each one of them. 
some of them worth noting, but I won't go over them. It's not a, it's not a seminary class. But, but this one, this one in Matthew is my favorite because it has the disciples going and getting a donkey and a colt, which is apparently the offspring of the donkey. Cloaks were placed on both of them, and Jesus rode on both of them into Jerusalem. When my prophet seminary pointed this out, I had visions of Jesus as a trick horse rider, riding the two horses, two donkeys, one on each foot, hair flowing back and robes flowing back. And I'm sure that's not what the writer wanted me to think. But that's the image that stuck in my mind, and now yours too. And like I said, today is Palm Sunday, and thus the start of what is called Holy Week in the Christian tradition. It is also Ramadan right now, and Passover starts this week as well. The earth is letting us know that it is a time of transition. Anything can happen. Strong winds. We have been experiencing some very strong winds. We could get more snow. And... I'm noticing buds and sprouts when I look. It is truly a time of transition in the earth, on the earth, and it is a time of transition for us here at the Unitarian Church of Edmonton. The earth is springing forth, and I believe we are as well. So much is getting done by so many. I want to address two things that the Mullah Nasruddin story and the story of riding on a donkey and a colt brought up for me. I wonder how we would be if a person came into our midst dressed either in work clothes, muddy, dirty work clothes covered in grime, mud, whatever, or looking disheveled in some way. Perhaps someone that is experiencing homelessness. What, what would we do? How would we, be, how would we greet them? When we've got coffee and snacks back, would we invite them to join us for coffee? Or would we do what they did to the mullah, refuse to let them into our circle, ignore them, have a hard time making eye contact, we might be a little nervous. Maybe notice a smell and turn our nose up. I think we would probably do some of both. I think some of us would welcome them, and some of us might be nervous. Because some of us are used to being around people of all kinds, and some of us aren't. Some of us wish that all of us turned up in our Sunday best, and some of us don't mind how folks show up. When I was with the Kamloops United Church, a downtown congregation, almost right at the heart of downtown, there wasn't a Sunday that didn't go by that a person experiencing homelessness or living with addiction showed up. Every Sunday, someone showed up, or more than one person. There was always a designated person to watch out for folks that others might deem unworthy. And to make sure they, this person, this designated person, would make sure there was a seat for them 
get them some coffee and food, talk to them, and if it seemed appropriate, to get them information on resources in town. The Kamloops United Church started the food bank back in, in the 1980s in Kamloops. So the food bank ran out of their church for a very long time. So, you know, they've got a real presence. I mean, it, we're not a downtown church, but, and I'm sure that downtown churches here in Edmonton have this kind of thing going on for them as well. And so we, we, don't, we don't have that kind of place in, in the city where it's a more industrial place. But there is, there is residential area around us. And so I ask you, with all of this, who are we? Who are our neighbors? And what are we called to do? Because we do have neighbors, not very far, just on the other side of the park. There's neighbors all around us. When we think of the mullah feeding his coat, and we picture Jesus riding into Jerusalem astride a donkey and a colt, it makes me wonder if everyone is just making it up as they go along. And I think that's true. And it is also important for us as a community to have things in place so that everyone knows what's going on and therefore can find their place within the structure. I was thinking about the mullah and what he was up against, the, the way he was unable to gain access because he didn't have the right clothes on. And then remembered a situation back a long time ago, in around 2011, I think, I was co-directing the family weekend camp for the Unitarians on Vancouver and Gulf Islands at... Um, on, uh, at Shawnigan Lake at Camp Pringle. If anybody knows Shawnigan Lake, it's such a beautiful place. It was a lot of fun, and it was a lot of work. And during the weekend, someone came up to me and said that they loved how inclusive the camp was, and, and that it didn't feel like he needed to know the secret handshake to, to be there and be engaged fully. And I asked them, what, what was it that they noticed? What, what was there for them? And they said, well, there's signs up, so you know that as soon as you drive up, where are you supposed to go? I put a big sign up and says, go here first. <laughs> and um, so you knew what to do. There, there were schedules posted everywhere, this person said. Everything is explained as if everyone was a newcomer. I hadn't thought about it that way before, but it was just the way I thought it should be because, well, I have a hard time figuring things out. It's what I need. So I sort of figure if I need it, most people do. Congregations are, of course, a little like that too, aren't they? The long-term members just, just know what to do. They know all the secret handshakes. They know what happens when you join a committee or decisions are made. They know where to hang their coat, how to get their child settled, where to put their wet umbrella, how to get coffee. And then it, people are usually, I have found out that you can actually get coffee once we start having coffee, pretty soon probably. We're going to have coffee and cake next Sunday for Easter, so we can be excited about that. Yay! Yay! Coffee and cake. And I will make a gluten-free cake. <laughs> yeah. Okay, where was I? 
I should stop doing that because then I was like, oh, no, I've lost my place again. So it's really important, like, that you find out. In, I don't know how many new folks are here. There's some unfamiliar faces to me. But I found out that you can get coffee before the service here and bring it into the sanctuary. And I think that's cool. They probably won't let me have any up here, but that's okay. You know, people, people are nervous coming into an unfamiliar situation. And it's up to us to make sure that they find out where to put their wet umbrella and how to hang their coat up and let them know that they can have coffee. In the UUA's uh, Commission on Institutional Change, and the UUA means, uh, stands for the Unitarian Universalist Association, and there was a commission on institutional change called Widening the Circle of Concern. The collaborators talk about how important it is for all of the governing structures to be in place, to be clearly laid out, and able to be accessed. I'm going to read a little bit from this section because it really spoke to me when I read it this week. And it's, this is from, um, it's called Informal Structures Privilege Those in Power. And this was written in April of 2019. In our work as the Commission on Institutional Change, we have found that an area in need of analysis is that of over-reliance on informal structures to carry out governance work, whether at the local, regional, or denominational level. Informal structures rely on social relationships and thus tend to privilege people from the dominant culture in a community or organization. In the interest of not being bureaucratic, we leave structures informal because we all know and trust one another. Informal structures also sometimes by bypass adopted procedures, ratified policies, and accepted governance agreements. Personal relationships are central to the work of organizations, yet should not be used instead of sound governance structures. When informal structures are prioritized, the end result is that those in power benefit from decision-making processes and arrangements that not only benefit their perspective, but also are taken to be normal practices. As we seek to add more and diverse voices into leadership among us, Reliance on informal structures can mean that new people cannot figure out how to contribute. If the way to get something done is to know the right people, then this can perpetuate a narrower circle of leadership. Informal structures create opportunities for discrimination, incomplete recounting of institutional history, and can result in selective institutional memory. And I was thinking it can also mean that we just recycle the same folks, right? Because only the people that the uh, nominating committee know are ever asked to go on a committee or an elected position. They also create difficulties when working toward transformation because they are taken to be part of the system in and of themselves. Thus, they are not seen for what they really are, 
shortcuts to right governance. Governance just means, it took me a while to figure this out. Governance just means how we run the business of the church. The rules, the regulations, the bylaws, the policies, the terms of reference, the job descriptions, all that kind of stuff. Governance. The boring stuff. Sorry. This is the boring part. Almost finished with the boring. Oh, I might be boring afterwards too, so I better not say that. One sign of an informal structure can be when someone says the process or policy is not written down because that's just the way we've always done it. End of quote. And so this is why I'm so happy that our governance implementation team is working through all the policies and procedures, terms of reference, job descriptions for elected positions, and trying hard to fill in so many of the gaps in the governance of this congregation. It's a lot of work, and there's some great folks on this task force. The task force and myself, I've identified that we are needing to develop a mission and vision statement along with a covenant of right relations. We have already done a lot of the groundwork for creating our mission and vision statement along with our covenant through the startup workshops. So many people have already contributed so much. And we're going to continue with this work this spring. And of course, the work will be done with input and collaboration of as many people as possible. And we'll be doing a lot of this work right here in this sanctuary on Sunday mornings. I probably shouldn't have said that because now you won't come back, right? No. And we'll do these, 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 the, we'll do all of this with these questions in mind. And you've heard me say this so many times. Who are we? Who are our neighbors? And what are we called to do? Perhaps if the folks at the feast where Mullah was had a covenant, that he, he might have been offered a place at the table. Or if the disciples knew what they were doing, Jesus wouldn't have had to ride into Jerusalem on two animals like a trick horse rider. He didn't really. He sat on them. Uh, the story goes. Palm Sunday is the start of what is called the Passion. We all know the story. It's often been called the greatest story ever told and is depicted in many plays and films, Jesus Christ Superstar, Godspell, on and on. It doesn't matter if it's a made-up story or a recreation of something that may have happened or sort of happened. The passion story signifies a time of rebirth or letting go of the things that no longer serve and benefit us and hoping for a new way of being. During this time of spring and renewal, I wonder if, in order to let in some of the goodness, we need to let go of some of the old habits, old ways of being, control. Sometimes saying, this is the way we've always done it, is actually keeping a potential volunteer from leadership. 
Maybe we all need to begin looking at our ways of being with fresh eyes. What are the secret handshakes around here? In what ways are we keeping the patterns the same that make it hard for a newcomer to break into the group? In every culture and religion in the world, we are offered a time to reflect and let go. That time is upon us now. If we wish to let in possibility, if we wish to become more diverse, if we wish to let go of the ways we have always done it, it will take intentional work on our part. First, the work is within. How will we welcome the stranger? How will we examine the patterns we hold that keep others out? What will we need to let go of in order to grow? Who are we? Who are our neighbors? What are we called to do here? What are we supposed to be doing? The passion story is all about letting go, losing control, and not trying to influence the outcome. The Mullah story tells us that we must be less judgmental and more open to people and situations that don't reflect us or could reflect us or wish they didn't reflect us. What is the culture here anyway? What is the culture at UCE? Maybe that's a good question to ponder as we take a moment to think on these things. So may it be. Amen.
And for our closing hymn, we'll be singing 1018 in the Teal Hymn Books, Come and Go With Me to This Land. And it's, uh, it's one where you are welcome to move and clap on two and four, not one and three, only two and four. I'm kidding. And um, yeah, please rise as you're willing and able. We'll have fun with it. Sarah back up to come and extinguish the chalice. The reading is by Kathy A. Huff. Our time in this place may have ended, but our connection to each other and this community remains. Together, may we walk the path of justice, speak words of love, live the selfless deed, trod gently upon the earth, and fill the world with compassion. And now, dear ones, do not be dismayed by the brokenness of the world. Everything can break and everything can be mended. But not with, not with time, as they say, but with intention. So I invite you to go and love intentionally.
and love extravagantly and love unconditionally. For the broken world waits in darkness for the light that is in you, all of us. Go in peace, gentle people. Go in peace. And before we conclude, I would like to add in... I would like to give my heartfelt thanks to everyone that is here in person, here online, and who participated and contributed to this, to this service. Thank you all so much. You are greatly appreciated. And now shall we sing our linking song, Carry the Flame. If you're new here, we kind of make a circle, and the words will come up here, and we sing, uh, Carry the Flame. And uh, in... In the before times, we used to hold hands, but we don't do that anymore unless it's somebody that you uh, already hold hands with. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs>